Well, welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue. My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here, and I, along with Pastor Laura Bird and Carol Petritus, um, every week have a conversation around the scriptures and what's going on in the world. We're talking right now about becoming neighbors, and really about becoming good neighbors. Part of the challenge we have is that so often we go through our lives not really focused on who our neighbors are. We don't really know the people that live next door to us. We don't know the people that live across the street from us. Oftentimes, we don't know everybody in our office buildings <laughs> or even the kids that sit around us in the desks at school. We know certain people, but we don't know everybody. And the challenge that we have from Christ is to know everybody by name and story, to really see people with compassion. And that's where we find ourselves in the scriptures this morning, is Christ responding with compassion and then teaching the disciples to respond with compassion as well. So I'm going to ask Carol to read our scripture this morning, and then we're going to dive into conversation. Yeah. Today we are in the book of Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. I think it's interesting uh, in this scripture because um, I, I see it a lot differently now than I did before 2020. Right? Because I think all of us in 2020 had the same response that the disciples did, right? Which is, okay, in the midst of everything going on in the world, do I have enough? Right? It led to this kind of scarcity mindset or this scarcity mentality. And so I guess the, the question I want to open us up with is, why do we have a scarcity mentality? And do we truly live in scarcity? Hmm. Yeah, I think that first we kind of have to define what a scarcity mentality is because we, we say that word, but what does that actually mean? Um, and I think of it kind of like we assume life and resources is like a pie and that there is only so much for everyone versus an abundance mindset, which is if we all work together, if everyone succeeds, we all succeed. The belief that there is enough to go around and we're not slicing the pie as thin as we can. Um, I think it is, though, it's really hard for us to see abundance. We are wired as biological creatures for survival. I mean, it makes sense that we think about what we don't have because we want to survive. But I think Christ calls us to that abundance mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, you know, we would go back to 2020, right? Scarcity mindset was, in the midst of that, do I have enough of the things that I Mm -hmm. need? Right? And so people started stocking up on canned goods. People started talking up on basic necessities like toilet paper, right? Which created a scarcity that may not have been right. there otherwise. Exactly. Right? Um, and so it's, it's interesting to me 
that I think all of us look around and we go, you know what? I don't know that I have enough. Mm-hmm. Because we can compare our lives to somebody else who has more. And so we think, okay, well, I'm, I'm not wealthy, mm-hmm. right? But in reality, um, you know, the, there are statistics that say, like, if you have a roof over your head, you're in the 10% of the world's wealthiest. And that's kind of a wake-up call for a lot of us because we don't, I don't know about you, I don't feel wealthy, right? But I do have a roof over my head. Carol, as we were kind of talking about that this week, you uh, remembered some statistics from a book you had read. Would you share those with us this morning? Yeah. So when we started talking about scarcity mindset, it reminded me of a book by Jen Hatmaker called Interrupted. I read it several years ago. It was written in 2014, but I think the statistics are so powerful that they stuck with me then. And I really think that they're worth us reading today. In her book, she says, of the 6 billion people on planet Earth, about 1.2 billion live on 23 cents a day. Half the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. The wealthiest 1 billion people average $70 a day. This places you and me in the upper, upper, upper percentages of the global population. If you make $35,000 annually, you are in the top 4% of the world. If you make $50,000 annually, you're in the top 1%. So that was eye-opening. Yeah. Um, Just a bit. Because I think if I were to to walk up to every person here or anybody who is listening um, and say, like, hey, um, do you feel like you have enough? Do you feel wealthy? I think very few people will respond with, oh, yeah, no, I have everything I need. Because I think there's always something more. And so often we don't feel equipped. I think we respond like the disciples, right? The disciples respond in the scripture, right? When Jesus says, like, uh, no, you feed them, right? They're like, but we have nothing but five loaves and two fish. We have nothing. And yet they have something, right? They have five loaves and two fish, but they respond, well, I don't have anything mm-hmm. for this many people. Um, you know, we were, as we were kind of joking around talking about this this week, uh, Laura, you modernized this story for <laughs> us. Um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but would you modernize it again for us this morning? Yeah, I tend to do this when I'm reading scripture. I just kind of try to think of, you know, what it, I try to put myself in the scene and what would it have felt like to be there in that moment where there's thousands and thousands of people. And we, it says 5,000 men plus women and children. So like 15, 20,000 people. This is a lot of people. And the disciples are like checking their watches. We, the disciples were the Ashley of, of the group. They're going, okay, um, it's time. Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? They need to go eat. Come on. And Jesus isn't worried about it. Jesus looks them straight in the face and says, you feed them. And I feel like if I was a disciple in that moment, I'd be like, excuse me, Jesus? <laughs> like, with what? Are you going to give me money? Um, they say, we have nothing. They, they had a little bit, right? They didn't have nothing, but that is what they said, is nothing. And um, I think we often are looking at this whole problem like they were. This 20,000 people, there's no way we can do this. And Jesus is calling us to direct action to not worry about logistics, but just go and be a disciple. Um, And I can imagine as a disciple being frustrated with Jesus at that moment, because seriously, what, with what, with what Jesus? And yet Jesus calls us to direct action. 
Yeah, and I think that's so interesting, right? Because I think oftentimes we do get overwhelmed by the vastness of the problems of the world. Yeah. And yet, if, if there were only six people following Jesus, right, and the disciples had come and said, hey, like, we don't have anything for these people, like, you should send them back, and he said, you feed them, I think the response is like, okay, well, we've got five loaves and two fish, we can, we can share that with six extra people, right? But when you start talking about 5,000 men plus women and children, right, um, and <laughs> all of a sudden the vastness of the problem, mm-hmm. I think, overwhelms the disciples, and so instead of going like, okay, like we've, we've got, we can make this work. Right? Yeah. They go, huh? Right? Um, but I think what's really powerful in that moment is that Jesus is, yes, giving a direct, a direct command to the disciples, right? And he's saying, no, you feed them. He's also asking them to change their mindset and their worldview. And really it is that thing of like, you can't feed this many people on your own. But, uh-huh. but with yes. me, you can, right? And there's always more to the story in the midst of this because, um, you know, Jesus breaks bread and passes. There's a lot of emphasis on the bread here, right? We don't hear a lot about the fish in the chapter. We hear a lot about the bread. Bread had a lot of symbolism in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Laura, will you speak to the symbolism of bread? Yeah. You know, I didn't really understand that bread was such a big deal. I mean, I knew we had bread and communion and all that. But when I started reading the scriptures and seeing how much, um, how much Jesus said, you know, I am the bread of life, that, th- that bread was something more than a bit of water and flour. And in the ancient times, bread wasn't just a symbol for something you would eat because you were hungry. Bread was a symbol for all necessities of life. And it was it was so um, treasured in times of like war and famine that you may have treasure that you would trade for bread just to have a bit of bread. That's how important the symbolism of bread was in the ancient world. And so when Jesus is pointing to bread as, as something holy, Jesus is pointing to that we can provide we have the abundance to provide everything that's necessary for life. I mean, that's so much more powerful than just a little bit of flour and water, you know? Absolutely. And I love the the meaning of bread. And I also like what Jesus does with it because there is this um, idea, I think, often that you need to go through somebody to get what you need. Right? If you yeah. need this, there's an institution, there's an organization, there's something to go to. And what Jesus is saying is like, no, let's interact directly with people. You don't have to be reliant on an institution. Mm-hmm. And part of what happens in this section of scripture is right before the feeding of the 5,000, we have the death of John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist is um, beheaded. Uh, and Jesus actually departs right, to, to leave the institution of Rome. They go to a desert place. They go to a place apart from the Roman society, the oppressors of society. And there was a thing that was happening back then, it happens sometimes still today, where if you didn't have enough to eat, you would go to a patron who would feed you, and then you would serve them, right, until you could pay back what it is you had um, gotten and borrowed. And it created this system where if you were poor and oppressed, you had to serve the people who were rich and wealthy, and there was no getting out of that system. Mm. 
And what happens here in the midst of the feeding of the 5,000 is a reversal of that. Right? Jesus tells the disciples, you go and feed them. And out of Jesus' compassion, he's setting up a new system mm-hmm. where people aren't going to have to be reliant on Rome anymore. And the power here is that Jesus offers bread without regard to status mm-hmm. or reciprocity. Jesus knows these people can't give back. And there is no expectation of them giving back or serving him just for bread. And so I love the great reversal that Jesus often does with these, um, you know, systems or where expectations where Jesus goes, no, there is always another way. And as we talk about becoming neighbors and becoming good neighbors, we are called to that same kind of compassion. Um, but we're also called to create systems where people feel welcome and wanted and encouraged And I've been working, Carol, I think, for for a full year now with you. Um, And one thing that if you don't know about Carol, Carol is a a graduate of Texas A&M. And part of what I have learned that, you know, there are are people who use the word cult, okay? Um, I'm not one of those people. But part of what I have learned is um, Texas A&M creates a a very powerful system of welcoming, um, so much so that even when you graduate, if you find another Aggie out in the wild, right, um, it's almost like instantaneous friendship. And that's part of just the culture they built into the school. Will you talk about that experience? Yeah, so it's funny because we were talking about this this week because I was still, you know, wearing my A&M sweatshirt, gearing up for <laughs> football season. Woo-hoo, so I'm super excited about that. But the story that we went back to or that we kind of talked about was what made you choose A&M? What was it about A&M that attracted you um, against other schools? And the story that I told was I remember when I was doing my campus visit and after the guided tour, my mom and I were just sort of walking around the campus. And a girl came up to me, introduced herself with a good howdy. And if you're an Aggie, you know that that, that's something that you must say. That's the official Aggie greeting. And um, started talking, let me know that she was a freshman and said, hey, do you want to see my dorm? And as a senior in high school, I'm like, "Uh, yes, this is amazing. And so she took the time that day to show me her dorm, show me where she ate, show me around the campus, just personally, just one stranger performed an act of kindness that when I got in the car that day, I said, Mom, it is A&M. There is no question I am going to Texas A&M. And I think to the point that Christopher is talking about, when we stop viewing it as, this is our club, and this is a scarce place. So the way that the culture was built at A&M is that you belong here. From the second that you get here, you are part of this community. You are part of this family. It's not, oh, there's only so many spots on in leadership roles and organizations, so eh, better for you to not be here. It's, no, no, we all belong. And I think that's sort of what we're talking about here is that there's not only a limited amount of space in our community, in the family of God. There's a spot for everyone. And how can we be like that girl on campus that day that says, no, no, come, come along with me so that someone else can get in their car and say, I want to be there. I want to be part of this community. Yeah, absolutely. Because it goes back to scarcity, right? When we think there's only limited resources or that if we bring people in, there's not going to be enough, that's when we start hoarding what we have. And if we have that abundance mindset that Jesus was really calling the disciples to, it's saying like, no, you don't have nothing. You have something. 
and watch what I can make of that something that you think is nothing. And what I love about the way that A&M does that is that system isn't just on that campus. Right? It, I have watched you greet Aggies from everywhere. And to be fair, Carol's friendly with everybody, not just Aggies. <laughs> um, but it is a, that system that has helped her to, I think, broaden out and include that welcoming piece. And I think it's so hard because the disciples didn't see their own resources as valuable. The disciples didn't think that they could do anything. And so I wonder what would have happened if when Jesus said, like, no, you feed them, instead of responding the way they did, if one of the disciples had looked up to heaven, blessed the bread, broke the bread, and then just began to pass it around. Now, we'll never know because that's not the way the story went. But so often we get caught in the scarcity of the moment. And it can be really hard, especially when we are in high-pressured moments. Laura, you shared a story this week about um, a trip you made to the border where it really felt like a scarce environment. Would you share that with our community this morning? Yes. So um, a few years back, uh, my uh, church at FEMC Denton, and um, I went on a trip to the border um, to volunteer for the refugees at the, um, that were coming in. And there were a lot of refugees um, from South America coming in, just in, in a pretty, pretty bad state, um, not having the essentials that they needed, like toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant. One of the big things that sometimes I didn't have was shoes. So I was assigned to the shoe room. And if you can imagine just this small room with, there was about seven volunteers, one in each room, and there were about a thousand refugees and they would line up at the door to get what they needed at each room. So I have refugees lined up outside of the door waiting for their shoes. I'm in this room with just buckets of shoes that are not organized at all in any way. I was trying to organize them, but it wasn't going very well. Um, and so me and the other volunteer in that work, we're, we were like the disciples. We were freaking out. We were like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Neither of us spoke the language, so I had my Google Translate out trying to ask what shoe size people wore. It was, it was honestly a mess. And, but the moments where I saw Christ was um, especially when the kiddos came in wanting shoes and their eyes would just light up because sometimes there would be shoes that lit up too. <laughs> like people had donated those. And so they were like, oh my God, we get shoes and we get lights. It was, it was amazing. But a lot of times we did not have their size and there were kind of shoes just like in random places stored. So I would be running around it's about 100 degrees, there's no air conditioning, trying to find, for this one specific boy, I was trying to find a size five, and nowhere could I find it. And I finally like, kind of broke down, and I, me and God had a moment, <laughs> because I was like, this is, this is not fair. Like, why is there not enough for this person who has made this long, long journey that has nothing, and, and then I'm sitting here and I can't give them what they need. And it, it did feel like a moment of scarcity. And you know, as, as we went throughout the night, we were able to find what we needed. We were able to calm down and find what we needed. Um, but it was, it was a moment in which I did not see the abundance. And I, and I, I kind of wondered why, you know, why, why are we in this place? Why am I in this place where I can't find shoes for a boy that needs them? Um, 
And I do think in that moment, God just said, keep serving, just keep serving, keep going. And it, it, um, it took a while, you know, but it, and it was really hard, but we just kept serving. I asked Laura to tell that story because it's a very vivid example of what many of us do every day without realizing it. God calls us and asks us to do something, and we say, oh, no, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I don't have the energy for that. I'm not equipped for that, right? Like, I I can give you several good phone numbers, God, of who you should call, um, who these people will probably be better. And a lot of that comes out of this, even if it's subconscious, this scarcity mindset Mm -hmm. and this belief that I don't have enough or I am not enough. And that's where the disciples go. That's so often where we go. And then God reminds us of God's abundance. And I think the challenge is all of us feel like we don't have enough. When when the $1 billion lottery came out, we'd be hard-pressed not to find somebody who wouldn't mind having won that, Mm -hmm. right? And yet, as Carol shared, we're in like the top 4% of the world's wealthiest people. And yet, it just isn't enough. We still want more. Um, and I, um, you know, I, I know that there are people who um, really and truly have a need. And we have a, the ability to give out of our abundance to help fill that yeah. need. That's part about being a good neighbor. And as we think about becoming good neighbors, I think the challenge is how do we, like Jesus, respond with compassion instead of our initial response, which is always out of, I don't have that. I have nothing. I have nothing I can give in this moment. So uh, closing thoughts. Uh, Anybody have any final words they want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think just taking the time to think about what it is that you have that you can share. It may not be financial resources necessarily, but it may be your great cooking skills. It may be your ability to um, watch someone's child. It might be your ability to mow someone's lawn that has a lot going on. What what can we give? What can we give to our neighbors? I, I think that is a really important takeaway is Think about the abundance that you have and where you can offer that to someone close to you. Yeah, absolutely. Any closing words, Laura? I'm good. (laughs) I guess I was thinking, I was like, man, that story is kind of uh, sad because, you know, we didn't get everything we needed at the end. But then I was thinking as you were talking that um, I think it was that same weekend that my congregation had given about $2,000 for shoes. We, had, we knew that was a specific need. And me and my friend Pam went and bought shoes and brought a load of shoes there. And was it enough? I don't know. But it was, we did what God was calling us to do. And that's what mattered. Yeah. Well, and I think we underestimate the importance of an act of kindness. Mm-hmm. Right? Because while uh, we don't always find what we need specifically when we're trying to serve people, at least people also know there's somebody in the world that cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes knowing that there's one person that cares about you makes all the difference. Um, so as we seek to become good neighbors, may we respond with compassion to a world that is in desperate need. May we remember that the first thing that Jesus does is change the disciples' mindset from a mindset of I can't to a mindset of you can with me. 
And may we continue to become good neighbors. May we never give up that opportunity and that challenge to become good neighbors. So thank you guys.